All right, well, good evening yet again for our Wednesday night Growing Together edition. Um, so glad that you are with us today. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Um, and this is a, a key night. Uh, as I think through the, the past four weeks of where we've been with this Holy Spirit class and then um, where we are at tonight, it's a pivotal night for conversation and for discussion and for Q&A. Um, some of you are joining us on Facebook Live and you won't be part of the Q&A, but man, I'm so glad that you are, are tuning in to this teaching tonight. I pray that it is helpful to you. Um, I pray that it is illuminating and that it maybe even would answer a couple questions that you have about the Holy Spirit and about speaking in tongues. Uh, that is the topic tonight. Um, again, if you are tuning in on Facebook Live and not part of our Zoom class, it's not too late to go to Zoom and find us. Um, uh, you can email me and get the link and I'll send it to you. Um, and I would say this too, um, if you're tuning in tonight for the first time, I would encourage you to go backwards after tonight's teaching and watch the previous four uh, teachings that we've done on the Holy Spirit because... Um, as I've said repetitively throughout this class, it lays a critical foundation for um, understanding properly, in the proper context, who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in and through our lives. Um, so let me just recap very briefly tonight. I want to, my goal tonight, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is to keep my teaching portion um, to 35 or 40 minutes and then to leave more than enough space in our time together on Zoom for Q&A. Uh, but I do want to recap. I think that's important uh, that we do that. And um, so we're going we're gonna to pray quick, and then we'll recap and, um, and trust God for the rest. Okay, let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for another opportunity to meet together and to gather together in your name. Um, it's always in the name of Jesus that we gather, and tonight is no different. And so I thank you for every single person listening to this teaching today, or whenever it is that they tune in. And I thank you, God, for every person who has joined us on this Zoom class tonight. And I pray, God, that you would uh, help me to accurately convey what you want to have said tonight in this place. God, I know that the, the topic of tongues has been uh, surrounded by controversy and debate and confusion and, um, and I pray, God, that you would enable me tonight, by your spirit, by that very spirit who we're studying, empower me to be clear, uh, help me to be helpful in the way that I convey your words. So I pray that you would guide my words tonight, my comments, and our discussion later, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So um, let me just again recap very quickly where we've been. We've had four weeks thus far in this class. Uh, week one, we talked about simply the nature of God. Uh, very broad, very big topic. I compared it the last couple weeks to a funnel where the, the first week was very broad. Just look at the nature of God as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We looked at how God has revealed himself throughout the entirety of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, we studied the nature of God. Week two, we took a, a slightly narrower slice. We looked at the, the way that God revealed his spirits in the Old Testament. 
again, broader than New Testament, but still a narrower slice. And then week three, uh, we looked at how God revealed his spirit in the New Testament. Uh, Then last week, if you were with us in week four, we studied the gifts of the spirit, um, known as spiritual gifts. We looked also at the fruit of the spirit briefly, um, and we had some Q&A after that. If you haven't yet done so, I'd encourage you to uh, get the links for the Uniquely You Spiritual Gift Assessment online. Just go to uniquelyyou.org and you can fill out an online assessment that connects your personality with your giftings and helps you discover what God has made you for. Um, There's one called freespiritualgiftstest.org. Um, there's also a, a, um, a, an assessment that we offer for free through our own database um, on the rock here at GT. So you could email Kim Geddes, K-I-M-G-E-T-T-I-S, at gtaog.org, and um, you can get the a link for that and take that one as well. So there's a lot of different tools that we want to make available to you to help you discover how God has made you, what he has made you for, your giftings, and your abilities. And we said last week and weeks before that when you discover your spiritual gifts, it's like unlocking your spiritual job description. When you discover what God has gifted you for, you have discovered what God has gifted you to do. Um, so do that. Make sure you get that done. So tonight, um, again, narrowing the funnel even further. Um, this is almost as narrow as it gets because we're going to talk about one thing tonight. Um, and one thing only, and it's the topic of tongues. And this topic, no doubt, is one that, as I said a moment ago, has been surrounded by confusion and debate on um, the place for tongues, what they are, what they are not, and their place in the modern church. Most, Most Christian uh, denominations acknowledge that tongues maybe had a place, but debate or argue whether or not they still have a place in the body of Christ. And of course, you and I are a part of this church, um, the Assemblies of God, the GT churches and Assemblies of God church, and we embrace the full ministry of the Holy Spirit for today. We believe that the, the cause of Christ and the pro- proclamation of the gospel in the early church, the demand on believers and the expectation and the great commission has not changed one bit from the day that Jesus ascended to heaven and commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that that commission hasn't changed one iota from then to now. And so if the commission hasn't changed, why would the equipment change, right? If God empowered his Holy Spirit, his, his early followers with the gifts of the Spirit, with tongues and prophecy and miracles and supernatural gifts, then why wouldn't he also empower us in the same way now? And that's a logical argument. We're going to turn to the Word of God in just a moment. Um, and I want to... I want to make a distinction, maybe plant this thought in your mind now. We're going to make a, um, a distinction tonight between the gift of tongues, and I'm going to go slow. I said that last week. I'm going to do my best. And the evidence of tongues. So kind of lock that away in your spirit tonight. 
Um, and again, I want this to be casual. I want you to, I want to walk through this with you today um, and try to, my best to make it clear. But while I read this, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 14. If you have a Bible in front of you, uh, make sure you open to 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to kind of read that as the backdrop for what we'll discuss then as I walk through the teaching. Um, you should have the notes. I emailed them to you, and so you should have those um, either printed out in front of you or on a split screen, however it is that you want to do technology tonight. But um, I hope that this will clear some things up. And I encourage you again, um, as we talk through this, um, as I talk through this, write down your questions as you listen so that when we have Q&A at the end, you have not forgotten what you wanted to ask. Or uh, put them in the chat and our group's uh, director, Tony, uh, Roman will capture those and text them to me while we listen together, and then I can prepare a response. So, um, but one of the things that I think has created confusion, or not created, that's not, God didn't create confusion. He's not the author of confusion, right? God's the author of order, not confusion. One of the things that I think has produced or allowed confusion among believers is that they for years, people have not made a distinction between tongues as a gift and tongues as the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I think that might make a lot of things clear tonight. Um, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, again, we are a Pentecostal church in belief and doctrine. We're an Assemblies of God church. Uh, we have, which means that we agree with the, the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. Truths numbers 8 and 9 deal with the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit and the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And so I want to do my best to unpack that tonight for you. We're going to start by reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm going to read a, a bit longer of a passage tonight. Just again, I think before I unload some of this teaching on you, I think it's important that we take a few minutes and just read through this passage. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul the Apostle writing to believers 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. And it reads like this in verse 1. He said, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Again, we talked about that last week. Especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And I would remind you again, if anything that I read tonight stirs a question in you, write it down right now. Um, I'm not going to pause as I read this. I say that. I'm, I don't plan to pause much as I read it to explain something. So if you have a question, write it down, save it for the end. Verse 3, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He said, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Again, not that there is any kind of rank order of the value of gifts, but Paul does say, if you had to choose, probably 
God gave this encouragement so that, because God knew that in centuries to come, people might elevate the gift of tongues as having this supernatural gift, and I'm better than you, and that's not at all what God wants out of this. And that's why Paul says that if you're going to excel in any gift at all, make sure that you excel in the gifts that edify others, that other people become the priority of your gifting, not yourself, right? In fact, when we studied spiritual gifts, we were reminded that God has faithfully, the gifts are God's administration of grace to you so that you and I may serve others with those gifts. The gifts of God always have other people as their focal point. When you are gifted to do something, you are not the, to be the recipient of that gift. You are a conduit of that gift so that God might bless other people through you, right? Okay, so that, again, just an important reminder here. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone know what, is, what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel, listen, I said this earlier, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Paul said, if you're gonna aim for giftings and ask God and pray, we talked about that last week, if you're gonna ask God for new gifts, aim to excel in the things that build other people up, not in the things that might puff you up, okay? Verse 13, for this reason, for everything I just said, Paul said, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, this is Paul speaking, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone... How can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Again, Paul has in focus how other people would be edified through your gifting. I say, listen to this, Paul, again, I've said already there has been controversy over 2,000 years now of the validity of this gifting. Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, unless, of course, it is interpreted. Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to, to, to evil be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Um, let, me, Paul, let me stop there because I want to jump into the teaching. Um, so, again, grab your notes. That's 1 Corinthians 14. You have a Bible, you can read through the rest of it, uh, but I want to jump into this because I know that I'm going to need a little bit more time to explain some of these things. So tonight, here's what I want to do, okay? I want to establish a basis, a biblical basis for tongues, 
again, if we're not, we're, if we're not deriving our belief system from this book, we are getting it from the wrong source, right? If you're on, if you're on Zoom, say amen with me, right? If we are not developing our belief system about God and the nature of God and humanity from this document, then we are looking to the wrong source, okay? Um, so I want to establish a biblical, biblical basis for tongues and develop the distinction between the various kinds of tongues referenced in Scripture and their uses and purposes, okay? Um, so first I want to look at the gift of tongues, okay? Again, there's a distinction between the gift of tongues as a, let me write that up here, as a spiritual gift, okay? So there is tongues as a spiritual gift, and then there are the kind of tongues that are the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Both are equally tongues, and both reflect in nature the same thing, right? So they're similar in nature, but different in purpose and use. Let me say that again. So again, as we draw this distinction, these different kinds of tongues as described in the Bible are similar in nature, but distinct in their use and their purpose. So when we talk about use and purpose, they are distinct according to the word of God, okay? So the goal of tonight is to draw out that distinction, literally to draw it out, and then to discuss it uh, in our conversation tonight. So the gift of tongues is given as the Holy Spirit wills to some believers for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and serving other believers. Again, I've said many times over, but it bears repeating, the gifts of the Spirit always have other people in focus. Let me just, you know what, let me make that simple. Um, that's terrible, the eraser fell apart. Okay, so, you know, I'm going to pause on that because I have a chart later. So they're given by the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues, given by the Holy Spirit, as he wills to some believers for the purpose of building other people up. This is a gift to use in a public setting, okay? And um, it should be interpreted by somebody else. Also, a believer receives a spiritual message. This is what the gift of tongues would be in another language designed to edify, edify somebody else or a group of believers. So in essence, the spiritual gift of tongues would be when somebody is given a, a, a message from God that's going to be communicated in a tongue to a group of people. Sometimes the Bible even says, we didn't read it tonight, but you can read it on your own, that the gift of tongues is a sign to unbelievers, that an unbeliever might say, wow, this is truly supernatural, that God would move through somebody to deliver a message in, a, in another tongue that would then be interpreted so that everybody could be edified, okay? Here are a couple of parameters that are given in 1 Corinthians 14. When a message is given in tongues, again, this message here, it must be interpreted um, in order to, for the body to be edified. If somebody were to stand up in a small group setting, if somebody stopped our Zoom conversation tonight and gave a message by the Holy Spirit in tongues and it isn't interpreted, that would not build us up. None of us would be edified by that message because we don't know what is being said. 
But if it's being interpreted by somebody else who maybe has the gift of interpretation, then all of us can be edified because we understand what is being said. Um, the interpretation usually comes through another believer who is gifted that way. Again, not always, but oftentimes it would be somebody else who has the gift of interpretation that's not the person who gave the message in tongues. Um, Paul said this, if no interpretation is forthcoming, the believer should pray for the interpretation him or herself. Again, he even says they should be silent in the church if they don't have an interpretation to give. So those are some parameters that are given for the gift of tongues. <clears throat> Here it is. If no interpretation is forthcoming, the person does not receive the interpretation. Paul says that that person should speak to himself and God in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28. That's where Paul said that. Tongues like this are to be a sign for unbelievers, um, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. And Paul reminds us that the Corinthian believers, he reminds the believers in Corinth that tongues should not be glorified above other gifts, which we already discussed tonight. Um, so again, I'm going to draw the distinction when we get, when we, so that was the gift of tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues. Now let me talk a little bit about the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to make the distinction and compare and contrast them um, together. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we're essentially talking about, let me, um, let me make, let me draw something here so that we can all be on the same page with what we're discussing. So if we look at the timeline of your life or my life, right, there is a starting point. It's called your birth, right? And this is today, right? This is today. Um, at some point in the past, I'll just use my life as an example, okay? I came to Christ at a very young age in my life. Um, let's just say I was, I was probably eight years old when I was, came to Christ. Um, from that day forward, I have been in a growing relationship with Jesus. There has been ups and downs, just like there have been in your life, right? Um, but there's been ups and downs. Now, from the time I was eight years old until the time I was 29, at 29, I had a separate experience in the Holy Spirit. And this is what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit where a believer has an experience with, with the Holy Spirit, where God takes a different level or, or depth of the Holy Spirit, a different measure of the Holy Spirit, and fills me to overflowing. And so from 8 to 29, I was saved, and I had the Holy Spirit living inside of me, right? I had a deposit, we talked about this, guaranteeing my inheritance, Ephesians 1. The Holy Spirit lived inside of me in some measure. I had a deposit of the Holy Spirit. But when somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive what I would call the fullness of the Spirit. Because they are then baptized and they are filled to overflowing. And this overflowing, so the, at the age of 29, I was in a, in a service with an evangelist here at GT um, where I was in 2003 probably, so quite a long time ago. Um, and I remember that night I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I began to pray in other tongues. What we call that in the Pentecostal world is that that day I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I began to pray in other tongues as the evidence of this baptism in the Holy Spirit. So to see this like circular connection. That night as I was seeking the Lord, I was, I was believing God for all that he had for me. I said, God, I need everything you have for me. 
I feel overwhelmed by this call to ministry that I'm sensing you have in my life. And so, God, I want it all. I want everything you have for me. That night, uh, Denny Duran was the evangelist. I was baptized in the Spirit. The evidence of that baptism was that I began to pray in other tongues on that very same night. From that day forward, then, I have been exercising this gift until today, right? I have been using the gift of tongues in my own personal prayer life to edify myself, to build myself up and to communicate with God at a spiritual level. That's the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, different from the spiritual gift that would be used to edify other people, okay? So again, a couple reminders about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Number one is this in your notes. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. I don't think that needs a lot of explanation, but it's just a reminder because sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, and he isn't an it. He is a he. He is a person, the, the third member of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead and is equally self-existent and eternal in both directions. He is as much God as the Father is and as the Son is. Upon salvation, every believer in Jesus Christ receives a deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's what I illustrated here. Upon salvation, when I was eight years old, the moment of my faith in Jesus, I received a deposit of the Holy Spirit uh, who did the work of circumcising my heart and converting my soul. That cannot happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So at the moment of salvation, every single one of you listening tonight, at the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ, that you confessed your sin before him, that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, trusted that what he did on the cross was a payment for your sin, at that very moment, God placed his Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance to come. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer as a gift of empowerment so that we may serve the purposes of God with our lives. Every single believer has a measure of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate work that God does, God does in our lives. We believe at GT that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, was the normative experience in the early church. Um, let me just write that word up here because it can feel a little bit like heady. Um, so we believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues was what we call, and it's in our fundamental truths, the normative experience in the early church. Let me explain that before I give you the example. So what that essentially says is that there are five specific examples I'm going to show you in the book of Acts right now, very briefly, five examples where believers in the early church were, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit, and at that moment they had another experience happen. The normal experience throughout the book of Acts is that when somebody was filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. <coughs> and so the Assemblies of God has, has made that what we call it 
our Pentecostal distinctive, our Pentecostal distinctive, that we believe that the normative experience throughout the book of Acts was that when somebody was filled with the Spirit, after salvation, they began to speak in other tongues. So it happened in Acts 2, chapter, uh, verse 4, on the day of Pentecost. It happened in Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 14 through 20, with the Samaritan believers. It happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, with Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. It happened in Acts chapter 10, at Cornelius' house. And then it also happened in Acts chapter 19, uh, with the Ephesian believers. And every single one of those situations, there was a moment of salvation... And then at some time later, there was another experience where they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the BHS. That's what I abbreviated. So, and what I would say to you is this, that it was a separate, we, we, I don't want to get too caught up in the, the linguistics of this, but it was a separate and a subsequent, subsequent experience. And that's, again, that's what we believe in this church. If you have a question, we'll chat about it. But we believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is both separate from and subsequent to the experience of salvation. Whether it's separated by a millisecond or by a decade, which in my case was the case, several decades. A couple of decades transpired between when I received salvation in Jesus Christ and when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, as evidenced by speaking in tongues, there was 21 years difference. Separate and subsequent to my salvation experience when I was eight years old. That's what we believe in the Assemblies of God Church. Okay? Um, and again, it's in your notes. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is separate and subsequent to uh, our experience of salvation. Speaking in tongues as a gift is different from speaking in tongues as the evidence of that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I would say this too, that while this is given to some believers, I know you don't want me to erase my artwork here, but I need to, to um, make room. So, because I, I want you to see the distinction here. So while the spiritual gift is given to some believers, we believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, is available to all believers. That's a big difference between the spiritual gift of tongues and the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit of tongues. And the other way that you could qualify this is that we believe that this is a, ah, I'm running out of space here, um, we believe that this is a heavenly, this is how, maybe not we, but this is how Scott says it. It's a heavenly prayer language. Just, again, just for the purpose of helping to distinguish it from the spiritual gift of tongues that is available to some believers as the Holy Spirit determines. This experience, all of this, separate and subsequent to salvation, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I believe you receive a heavenly prayer language that, that allows you to commune with God at a new level. It doesn't make you a better Christian than you were before. It just gives you 
a different kind of uh, communion with the Father. It's an amazing experience, right? And we believe, again, the normative experience in the early church. Um, so let me kind of draw this out here in a different way. So let me, again, making the distinction. We also, again, spiritual gift of tongues, some believers, the baptism of the Holy Spirit available to all believers. The spiritual gift of tongues is to be used in a public sense, okay? Um, public tongues, in your notes, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gift, given to certain believers for the edification of the church. This gift is not available to all believers, but is distributed as the Holy Spirit determines in the same way that the other gifts of the Spirit are distributed. So in the same way that some are given the gift to teach and some are given the gift to serve and some are given the gift to lead and some to give and some to administrate. Some are given the gift to speak in a gift of tongues that is used in a public setting. And the purpose of this tongue is to edify other believers and must be interpreted. Um, it's a corporate gift. The, the private tongue, so this is public, right? I would qualify this as being private. Okay, it's time for me to erase the rest of this. So, <coughs> excuse me. Again, I want you to see how these are distinct and unique. They are, they are similar in nature, but distinct in use and purpose. So, some believers versus all believers, public versus private. The gift of a heavenly prayer language as the result of being baptized in the Spirit, it's a private gift available to all believers and comes with a heavenly prayer language designed to deepen your intimacy with the Father. I think that's a good way of describing it. It's designed to deepen my intimacy with the Father. This form of tongues is the resulting evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. The purpose is to strengthen and edify myself and it's a personal gift used in private prayer time. So if you're in a, a gathering of believers in a worship setting and somebody begins to pray loudly in, a, in another language, in a spiritual gift of tongues, they should pause the service and that should be interpreted. If somebody is praying loudly using their heavenly prayer language, they should not become a distraction to other people, but be, should be praying between them and God, just communing with the Father. Um, and one last thing before I draw you to finish this chart here, um, and this is super important, I think, because this is, again, where I think confusion has uh, emerged and even controversy and argument over it. Um, and you might want to grab your paper Bible, which I, again, I believe strongly in having a physical Bible to note in, to, to make your own cross-referencing system, to underline, to highlight, whatever. But at the end of chapter 14, this whole chapter, longest segments in the Bible where it, the Bible deals with tongues, right? Paul writes to the Corinthian believers about tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, he said this. Underline it if you have a Bible. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So if you, again, if you take the context of this, Paul wrote this letter 30 years after the day of Pentecost, after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
on those 120 believers in the upper room, Paul wrote a letter to believers in Corinth who for 30 years had been practicing the use of tongues in their church. And before changing topics, Paul's last word on tongues was to not forbid it. Again, I don't know what other denominations do with that verse because I think it's pretty clear. Paul says that we're not to forbid speaking in tongues in the gathering of believers. It's a legitimate gift that was being used in the early church for 30 years. And then he qualifies it. He said this, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So make sure that when you use tongues, you're not creating confusion or distraction or disorder. They should be used in a fitting and orderly way. So let me finish this chart here. So again, the spiritual gift of tongues is given to some believers um, for use publicly and it's given to edify the body. Edify the body. That means other Christians, right? The body of Christ. Whereas the, the gift of speaking in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is available to all believers to be used privately and is to edify, this is a big difference, to edify myself. Again, I think I've always found this to be very helpful as I process this and try to understand it in my own mind and understand the distinction in purpose and use. This gift should be used in a public setting. It's given to some believers and is useful to edify other people. This, as a result of being baptized or filled with the Spirit, is available to all believers to be used privately. So I, I pray in tongues in my own prayer time at home when I'm spending time with God. Not even around my spouse. I'm not walking around showing off, like praying loudly in tongues. No. Paul said when somebody prays with their heavenly prayer language, it's between them and God. I don't need to show anybody else what I'm doing. I'm simply praying to God with my spirit. The Holy Spirit in me is communing and, and interceding to the Father and the Bible says that as a side effect, I am edified in my own spirit when I use the gift of my heavenly prayer language to pray in tongues. I think that's pretty cool, okay? Again, we'll deal with questions in a minute. A couple of things, and then we're done here. So how do I position myself to receive this? I don't know that you can do anything to receive this. Maybe you can talk to God and ask, say, God, I'd like to have the spiritual gift of tongues and maybe he'll give it to you. But again, that's up to God to give to some people. But I believe this is available to all believers. And so how do I avail myself to that? First of all, I would say this. The first thing in your notes is right belief. If you don't believe something, you won't receive something. Everything in the life of the Christian comes about by faith. In fact, in Hebrews it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Everything that comes into our lives is received by faith. And so right belief, right faith is essential to receiving this gift. Um, Luke 11 chapter 9 talks about asking and receiving and seeking the Lord. That's a part of it. Acts chapter 1 and 2 give us the very clear example of waiting on God. 
of seeking the Lord and waiting on God to do what only he can do. Um, I think, again, these are my own opinions. I don't have a specific scripture, but I think surrender, um, humility and surrender is a, a, an appropriate posture of my soul and my spirit before the Lord that I surrender all to you, God, and make myself available for God to do whatever he wants to do. And the other thing I would say is this. I think, I believe that a life of obedience to the word of God an obedient life before the Lord is a way to position myself to receive everything that God might have for me. Um, here are some possible hindrances to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The opposite, so if, if listen, if you're listening, say amen. Amen, there we go. So if everything spiritual comes into my life through the conduit of faith, then the opposite would be true as a hindrance to receiving from God. Unbelief will stand in the way of my receiving from God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 38, 13, not 38, Matthew 13, verse 58, Matthew literally says that Jesus could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. We're talking about the Son of God, God himself, in the flesh was hindered from doing many miracles in his hometown because of a lack of faith. Uh, or some versions, many versions use this word, and I think it's a really good word, unbelief. Unbelief, my friends, will stand in the way of God doing his thing in your life, okay? A lack of faith, of course. Lack of understanding. I think when we're confused about something, we cannot confidently, Hebrews 4 says, we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive help in our time of need. Well, if we're confused about something, we're not going to go with confidence and boldness. Um, lack of humility and a lack of hunger, I think, are also things that can stand in the way of our receiving from God. So, again, I want to now move to Q&A. I think I took about 43 minutes, so we've got lots of time for Q&A tonight. I hope you wrote your questions down. Um, I hope you maybe took a snap, a screenshot of this amazing artwork, haha. -ha. Um, but I think that this will maybe clarify some things for you. So we're going to break to Q&A now, and I will talk to you soon.